Hello again, biathlon fans, and welcome back to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. And a special thanks to our Heartbeat sponsors, Aaron's, the King of Snow, Maloya, outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College, offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And to all of our Heartbeat listeners, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It has been a sensational start to the season on the IBU World Cup with some personal bests and a host of new athletes making their debuts. In our last episode of Heartbeat, we spoke with Margie Freed, who made her debut in the opening IBU World Cup at Oostersund. A week later, another newcomer, Grace Castengay, had her opportunity in Hochfilzen. What's exciting about both Margie Freed and Grace Castengay is the unique pathway that they have taken to the sport. In Margie's case, she was a veteran cross-country skier who found her way into shooting and then on to biathlon. Grace, on the other hand, was a runner in high school and only picked up cross-country skiing four years ago when an injury curtailed her running career. She immediately fell in love with gliding on snow. And when she followed her younger brother out to a fall biathlon camp at Soldier Hollow in Utah just a few years ago, coach Zach Hall noticed her and asked if she wanted to learn to shoot. And again, she immediately fell in love with biathlon and made a full commitment to the sport. Last winter, Grace Castengay went to the IBU Junior World Championships in Kazakhstan. This month, she had her first two World Cup starts. Her winner will be busy juggling NCAA carnival racing with St. Michael's College, plus returning to Europe for racing in early January for biathlon. What I especially enjoyed in my interview with Grace was her passion and enthusiasm and the drive that she has to not let anything get in the way of her goals. You'll likely hear a lot more about Grace Castengate. Now let's get to the interview from her home in rainy Jackson, New Hampshire, fresh off the plane from Europe. Welcome back to Heartbeat, everybody. Today, we have a great guest, Grace Castengay, who's joining us uh, from her home in Jackson, New Hampshire. And Grace, I should say, welcome home. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, been been not quite the warm welcome I was hoping for. We had gotten a huge dumping of snow right before I came back to the U.S. And then the day that I got home, we got four inches of rain and straight flooding everywhere. So... It's still good to be home, but not as great skiing as I had hoped for. And I, I know this was while you were gone, but Vermont and New Hampshire got quite a bit of snow. And is that, and I should tell uh, listeners, we're recording this just prior to Christmas, but that snow's gone now? There's nothing left. I don't know if you saw, it's kind of been all over Instagram, but Jackson Nordic Center, which is my hometown Nordic Center, just got absolutely flooded. The Jackson Falls were raging. So it's looking pretty bleak right now. And I think there's a little bit of a base left at Craftsbury, but I think that's the only skiing right now in New England. Boy, that is just crazy. We're going to dive into this in more detail later, but I'm just kind of curious. Uh, you've just gotten home from uh, training and competition, but how long was this road trip for you? This was my longest one span of time in Europe, uh, my longest time away from home for ever since ever. Um, I went to Finland November 10th, I think, and I just got home uh, like two days ago. So there's about a month and a half on the road, which is the longest I've been away. Did you get a chance to go home between the camp and Soldier Hollow and by the time you went to Europe? 
Yeah, I had a nice little three-week period. I live on campus uh, at St. Mike's, so I got to go home for three weeks, be with my St. Mike's team, see some friends, and then I was back on the road three weeks later. <laughs> the life of an athlete. Yeah, it's always go, go, go. Let's dive into your past, Grace. Uh, give us a little bit of an in, some intel on how you got involved, and we'll start with how did you get involved with cross-country skiing going back in time when you were younger? So the punchline of this story is that I actually did not learn to ski or step foot on skis until four years ago. So I am uh, pretty much a baby in this sport. I grew up playing soccer and running cross country. And when I was 14, I broke my leg playing soccer. And that kind of switched me fully into the endurance mode lifestyle. So I ran high school cross country and was really into running. I wanted to run division one in college. That was my big goal. And then because of the longstanding effects that my broken leg had caused, I broke my tib tibia and fibula, which caused my growth place to close. Running just really did not suit my body. <laughs> I it broke down a lot. And so my junior year of high school, my brother has been skiing for a lot longer than me. Um, his name is Theo. He's about three years younger than me. He had just started high school, and the high school that I went to for my freshman through junior year was in Durham, New Hampshire, so near UNH. And there is not a lot of Nordic skiing around there, like actually none. But Theo had been skiing a lot longer, and there was a really fun high school circuit in New Hampshire. So my mom actually became the high school Nordic coach for our team so that my brother could enter in races. And my indoor track season ended a little early and she was like, don't you want to join the team? Yeah, we'll look on college resumes. And I figured, hey, why not? And I entered my first Nordic ski race about three weeks after I, uh, quote, learned to ski. I should say, quote, because I looked like Bambi on ice skates. Love it. <laughs> and <laughs> I finished that first race with just the hugest smile on my face. It was just the most fun I had had competing in sport in my whole uh, whole lifetime of athletics up to that point. So yeah, that was that was kind of the start of it all. Just a, just a question on that. Did, had you alpine skied, cross-country skied? Had you done anything on skis before? I grew up alpine skiing. Um, my family was big on alpine skiing. And I just had absolutely no interest in Nordic skiing. I thought it was so silly. <laughs> Sounded like a lot of work. And I had no interest in pulling on a tiny spandex race suit. So I hadn't, I hadn't tried Nordic skiing up until that point. And were you competing in U.S. ski and snowboard events, uh, high school events? Uh, what level? So when I started Nordic skiing, I was just racing the New Hampshire High School Race Series. So after my junior year of high school... We decided to transfer high schools, my brother and I, to Kennett High School um, up in Jackson, which is where I live now. And that is actually the same high school that Sean Doherty graduated from. So we are both alumni from the same high school. And luckily there, there was a really good ski program, high school ski program. I think that's where my, my skiing really picked up. I was just got to go out on skis every day. Jackson has 150K of trails, so a lot of opportunities for skiing at my fingertips. And I raced high school races. I entered in my first J&Qs, got absolutely throttled in them, <laughs> but still was having a lot of fun with it. And I just decided to keep going with it. You know, one of the things that I'm interested in 
in order to be a good cross-country skier, you've got to have the engine, you got to have the heart and the, the ability to really uh, compete at that level. You s- had that from running. I mean, was that, a, was that part of it a relatively easy transition for you? I think that the running really made a huge difference for me. But one of the reasons that I enjoyed Nordic so much when I started it was I have a much more muscular build than the typical runner. And so I really enjoyed how cross-country skiing was also the intersection of power and strength and race, mental mind strategy, um, all on top of the cardiovascular aspect. So that was kind of really what drew me in. Now, now, when you're in your formative years, I mean, as you actually still are, but in those early days, did you look to any other athletes or was there a way that you started to develop your strategic approach to the sport? I really enjoyed watching Jessie Diggins once I got into Nordic skiing. I mean, she's kind of the first first celebrity that you see when you get introduced to the sport. And I really loved the message that she was sending about being strong and having these race tactics and just going out there and like really grinding through it. So I really enjoyed the the grind aspect of the sport. That's an interesting aspect because I think a lot of people might say, man, I just, I just don't want to get into the trenches and really get down there and dig in. But it seems to really interest you. Yeah, definitely. There's this place that it's a really fun place to go and I don't get it very often it kind of happens you can only kind of capture it for a couple of races a season I think where you're just like you have this moment and you're like I need to dig deeper than I've ever dug before and I mean you can see it like I I was never passing out at the finish line like laying on the ground after a cross-country running race but you push yourself so hard in Nordic skiing and I, I really enjoyed that did you watch videos oh yeah <laughs> yeah I uh YouTube basically taught me how to ski my dad He had not grown up Nordic skiing. He had gotten into it right around my brother did, so just like a year or two before me. And it was really a, it was a shoestring operation because there are not a lot of ski clubs around where I live. Um, There's lots and lots of skiing, but there are not a lot of ski clubs. I think the nearest ski club was Ford Sayer. So not a whole lot of access to coaching. So YouTube was was my best friend. Uh, I just would watch technique videos religiously and then try to capture that image in my brain and then replicate it on skis the next day. Was there anyone other than Jesse Diggins that you watched back then? I don't think so. Um, no, not that I can think of. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good, pretty good role model to, to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Grace, so you're into cross-country skiing. You're thinking about where to go after high school. How did you make the connection that ultimately landed you at St. Michael's? Going into the grad, uh, going into graduating my senior year of high school, when I was applying to colleges, Nordic skiing and skiing collegially was not really a high priority. Uh, it actually wasn't even on my radar. I hadn't done a full Nordic season at that point. So I applied to colleges and I got accepted and decided to go to the University of Vermont, actually. But then the spring of my senior year, right before graduation, is when COVID hit. And so things got a little topsy-turvy. And I ended up doing my freshman year at UVM completely online. And so because I was completely online, this gave me a lot of flexibility to travel and do what I wanted. And I decided to go to Utah with my brother in October of 2020, right around the time of the Shoots and Ski Festival, because my brother was a biathlete already and he was going to compete. And I figured I'll just go, it'll be good training. At that point, my only goals were to qualify for junior nationals. I went to Soldier Hollow, 
And there was one day where I was skiing around and um, this actually kind of gets into the start of how I got into biathlon, but it all connects and ends up leading me to St. Mike's. But I was skiing around Soldier Hollow one day and Zach Hall, the former Soldier Hollow head coach, pulled me aside and asked if I wanted to join biathlon practice. And I had shot a biathlon rifle before because my brother was had been a biathlete, but I hadn't really caught the biathlon bug at that point. So I figured, okay, why not? I'll go to this practice. I'm here. Something to do. And I went to pra- that practice that day and things really clicked for me. Um, and I really started to see why people love this sport. <laughs> One of the big things was that Zach identified that I am left eye dominant, despite being right-handed. And when I had shot biathlon rifle before, I was shooting righty and I couldn't hit the broadside of the barn. So <laughs> once we figured out that I was left eye dominant, that made a huge difference to how I felt about the sport. And I also just really enjoyed the way that he, he explained the process. Zach is a really phenomenal coach in a multitude of ways, but he's really great at the mental aspect of sport. And so I remember going home that day from practice and I said to myself, I want to be really good at this. And I remember watching videos of Dorothy Avere in her extremely fast standing shooting time. And I was like, I want to be this good someday. So from that point, my goal has kind of shifted gears all in towards biathlon. There was no operating biathlon range in Jackson at that point. So uh, my brother and I built a little range in our backyard because we live kind of in a pretty remote place. And I would just shoot, didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, I had done like the safety clinic, but I didn't really have any coaching. And then I raced my first biathlon nationals that March. And suddenly my goals became making junior worlds. So going into my sophomore year at University of Vermont, I was all in on biathlon and I realized that if I wanted to become a good biathlete, I need to start skiing faster. And I realized that one of the easiest ways to ski faster and be around really fast ski racers was to ski collegiately. And so I was in person at University of Vermont. I was training full-time by myself. Um, I wasn't good enough. I hadn't posted good enough results at that point to ski for the University of Vermont team. And I would go to Ethan Allen uh, biathlon practice twice a week. And I realized that ski training by yourself is really hard to do, especially with no coach. And there's not nearly enough races. So I met with Molly Peters, the St. Michael's Nordic coach. And it just really clicked. She was looking to kind of start rebuilding the team in some aspects. And she was super supportive of my biathlon goals. And I found myself at St. Mike's the next semester, my second semester of sophomore year. And that the rest is history. You know, going back to those, that first year or so, I mean, first of all, you were what, 18 years old, maybe when you came out to Soldier Hollow? Uh, I just turned 19 that weekend. Were there others in biathlon that kind of helped you along the way? I know that you were living in an area that didn't have a range, but was there anybody else who who kind of started to give you that roadmap to how you could uh, find your pathway? My brother was a really huge resource for me. He had started biathlon with Jackson Biathlon Club, which unfortunately shut down right as I was getting into the sport, but he was a really huge resource for me. He had a lot of knowledge already under his belt. So that was really great. And Zach Hall and Garrett Garberich of Soldier Hollow 
were really influential coaches at that point for me. I really, I really admire and appreciate their belief in me because when I started biathlon, I was, I was very not good. I like my ski speed was just not, it was not even close to where it was, where it needed to be. I felt like I was pretty late in the game. A lot of my peers in the sport, I feel like had been shooting for at least a couple of years more, but I had these big goals and they believed in me. So I lived in Utah the summer before and after my sophomore year of college. I worked really closely with Zach and Garrett and they they just kind of helped me along the way. So that was really awesome. I also got a lot of insight from Sarah Sudebaker um, because she is married to Zach Hall. And so it was really great having her perspective and hearing her story actually because she her story really resonated with me particularly because she had skied collegiately but hadn't made the A team until I think her junior senior year of college and then later on obviously went to be a great biathlete so her story really resonated with me and I kind of looked towards that as my model Let's talk a little bit more about Utah. I, I happen to live out here in Utah, so I, I know the opportunities that exist here. You know, from the time that you spent out here, there's really quite a culture around sport here, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. It's just, so I, I was really fortunate to live in the Utah Olympic Park residences when I lived there. So it was a great melting pot of all different winter sport athletes. We even got a couple of triathletes uh, every few weeks in the summer really awesome place to cultivate high-level sports and what an amazing facility and they really have done a lot of great work there in the last few years and I've heard some tentative plans for the coming years which make me really excited so yeah it was a great place to train I think that Park City and that area is still my favorite place to train well, if you really if you really look far enough ahead in your career you could potentially be back here for the 2034 Olympics yeah yeah, it's really exciting. We'll, we're taking it one day at a time, but it's it's really, it would be a full circle moment. So let's go to the 22-23 season. So that's a year ago. You had only been in the sport for essentially two years. Barely, yeah. And you all of a sudden, you barely, and all of a sudden you're traveling the world. What was that year like? That year was really crazy. So I went to Craftsbury Senior Trials. Actually, with absolutely no intention of qualifying for the IBU Cup. My huge goals for that year were to qualify for Junior Worlds. It was my last year as a junior. And because the Craftsbury races were so close, I figured, hey, I'll do them. It'll be good practice run for junior trials, which were going to be in Alaska that year. And up until that point, I had not had any success in the sport. The mental aspect of biathlon was a really difficult barrier for me to overcome for a really long time. I would shoot great in practice and then I would get to competition and just any shooting capacity I had would fly out the window. So I hadn't had a good race up until that point, but I figured, hey, this would be good practice. I remember walking up to the results that first day. They told us that our results because they were taking the top three people to uh, USADA testing. And I told them my name and they said, Grace Cassingay, first place. And my jaw hit the ground. I kid you not. I was like, are you sure? R really? And then my um, my chaperone for my water chaperone, she kept saying, she was like, do I have the right person? Are you actually Grace Castingay? Like, you're kind of freaking me out. You don't think that you won. And I was like, no, I am Grace Castingay. I just 
I just can't believe that I won the race today because I haven't like this is this is a new feeling for me. So I raced the sprint that day, I won, and then I had a decent individual the next day. And I remember I was talking to so at that point Sarah Leto was my my coach for biathlon, and she's a phenomenal woman. And so I had been talking to her, and I had been talking to Zach Hall because he kind of also would help me from the sidelines even when I was back in the east. And I went into that third day of competition realizing that I was a bubble athlete and I just I had to pull things together and I could possibly be going to Europe. And so I did. And the next uh, week and a half was a crazy whirlwind of trying to get everything together. I was still doing classes at St. Mike's and those are in-person classes fully. So I had to contact all my teachers over the holiday break and explain to them, hey, I'm actually going to be missing class for uh, anywhere from four to eight weeks. Um, is there some way that we can work together so that I can still take classes? And luckily, I had a lot of teachers that were really supportive. And yeah, I hopped on the flight and it was just the start of a really incredible journey. Um, and I remember talking to uh, Susan Dunkley, actually, right after I'd qualified. We were standing in the Craftsbury parking lot and she told me to just soak it all in. She was like, you have plenty of time to worry about your place, your placements and your results. But just this year is all about experience. So just take it all in, enjoy it. And I really took that advice to heart and had a really phenomenal winter. What was your first destination when you went to Europe? My first destination was uh, Oserbli, Slovakia. And I actually had a really horrible time getting over there <laughs> because first off, I was flying with um, Tim Cunningham, who's a good friend of mine. And we had possibly the worst travel day in the history of travel days. Um, our flight got rerouted through Dublin, Ireland. And then we got stuck on the tarmac for three hours in the middle of the night because uh, the airport didn't open until 6 a.m. And they only had one de-icing machine. And then we missed our connector flight in Frankfurt. And then we had to go through TSA again. And they found a biathlon bullet in one of our bags. And there was a, there was a hot second there where I thought Tim was going to be stuck in German prison. But we uh, ended up, we, we made it in the end. <laughs> and yeah, my first races were in Oserbli, Slovakia, which is definitely not the most, it's not the most glamorous venue I've been to, but of all the places I've raced during biathlon. But I was just, I was just awestruck. I was so happy to be there. Now, you eventually made it to Junior Worlds, but had you qualified at that point, or were you still looking to see how you're going to do to see if you'd make that team that went to Kazakhstan? So the nice thing about qualifying for the IBU Cups in the Craftsbury Trials was that year, the criteria for Junior Worlds team actually was written in that if there were junior athletes that qualified for Senior IBU Cup, they would take up to two junior athletes and just auto-qualify them for Junior Worlds. So in qualifying for Senior IBU Cup, I auto-qualified for Junior Worlds that year, so I didn't have to go to Alaska, and I could really just focus on racing the IBU Cups, getting my feet under me with the international racing thing, and then I could look towards Junior Worlds as kind of the place where I would really take all the things that I was learning at IBU Cups and try to harness them into a couple of really solid races in the junior field. What did you know about Kazakhstan before you went there? I did not know uh, really anything. <laughs> Nothing. I didn't know where, I didn't even know how to pronounce Shushin. 
Shushens. I apparently still can't pronounce it. What was the biggest thing you took away from competing at Junior Worlds? Just how amazing the IBU sport family is. Um, it was my first Junior Worlds, so my first and my last Junior Worlds because I was a last year junior, and they really put on a really great great event for all of us. The It just felt so wonderful to be part of such a rich and large group of really high-level junior athletes. And they, I remember going to the opening ceremonies and it was, it was just really cool to be there. A great experience. Grace, we're going to take a short break here on Heartbeat. When we return, we're going to talk to Grace about her World Cup debut coming just really just a few weeks ago. We'll be right back on Heartbeat. In each episode, Heartbeat brings you insightful stories about one of the most exhilarating of all Olympic sports. U.S. Biathlon thanks each of its sponsors that help us bring you each and every episode of the Heartbeat podcast. Maloya is the official apparel provider of U.S. Biathlon. Thanks to Maloya, our team is outfitted in high-quality, beautiful apparel and race gear. Not only does the U.S. Biathlon team stand out, but we race in comfortable, breathable suits that inspire confidence. Check it out at MaloyaClothing.com. As an official sponsor of U.S. Biathlon, Aaron's is committed to supporting the growth of the sport in the USA. The so-called King of Snow is a global leader in snow removal equipment that keeps facilities and courses clear for training and competition. The Aaron's Nordic Center in Brilliant, Wisconsin is an official U.S. Biathlon National Training Center, further proving Aaron's commitment to growing biathlon in America. You can learn more at aaronsnordic.com. As the official education partner of U.S. Biathlon, Paul Smith's College takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. Its reputation and standing as a college aligns with U.S. Biathlon's goals to support collegiate biathletes as they strive for both academic and athletic success. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to this episode of Heartbeat. And we're back on Heartbeat with Grace Castengay today. And Grace, let's let's kind of rewind. We don't have to rewind that far, but just the last weeks and months, six weeks or so, uh, you've had another whirlwind in Europe. I know you went over to the camp in Finland, and then things just kind of evolved. Tell us about your experience in November and December. So I went over to Bukati uh, early November for the pre-season camp, and uh, they were also. I knew that they were going to be selecting the IBU Cup and World Cup team from that camp, and I didn't really have any expectations on myself. Um, no pressures. I was just thrilled to be going to camp. I hadn't raced a full IBU Cup season at that point because I had just done trimesters two and three last year. So I went into the camp just excited to get on snow early and see where see where my skiing was at. Unfortunately, I had a pretty unideal time trial in Ducati, which was the primary test race to select the World Cup team because yeah, I just my I think it took it was taking me a little bit longer to get my ski slash snow legs back. And because I'm still in school, I went about a week later than everybody else. So I had a particularly uninspiring race that day. 
but was still super content when I got named to the IBU Cup team and was really looking forward to racing in Contiolati the following week and getting some biathlon races under my belt. How did you do in those races and how did that then set the stage for the next couple of weeks? So those races, I finally got my ski legs back under me. I am really happy with where my ski speed was at, but my shooting had really, it had been a little bit it hadn't been what I had been looking for. Um, I had pretty bad shooting in the individual that rate that uh, that race, and the sprint was really nothing particularly special. Shooting seventy percent wasn't really what I was looking for. But going into the final race races of that weekend was this: I was doing the single mix relay with Vincent. My experiences with relays was that most of the time, all the relays I had done on the I- senior IBU Cup. I had gotten lapped out. So I went into the single mixed relay, just not with any huge goals in in mind. But shortly after after finishing my first leg and watching Vincent start his first leg, I realized, okay, hey, we could actually finish this relay and we actually might do pretty well. And going into my second leg of the relay, I, I had, I think I went zero plus one and then I cleaned my standing, which was a really big deal for me because I had been having a particularly bad lucky bout of standing shooting and Vincent just performed really phenomenally um, as he does so often and we actually finished that day in ninth place beating our bib so that was a really special moment for the both of us and then later that evening we got a call from Wool saying that the next day we were going to be getting on a flight to Austria you you probably didn't have any idea that was going to be how your day would turn out did you I knew that Margie Freed was vacating her spot um, on the World Cup, but I hadn't been having particularly great races, um, not not up to my standards. So when I received that call, yeah, it was really, I had a hard time processing it. There was a lot of mixed emotions going on. So you get to Hochfeldt, and this is one of the truly great venues in biathlon. This is a whole new level. I mean, I, I imagine your eyes were big and you're looking around and just trying to figure out, wow, what should I do here? What was that experience like to be on the biggest stage of your life at Hochfeldson? Going into the training day, I showed up and I I was just like star studded. Um, there are so many cameras. There are so many superstars. And it was really hard to not get distracted on the range, just like following in awe uh, some of the greats like Ingrid Tandervold, Doro, Elisa Vitozzi. It was really a super cool experience. And then getting to the race day, I just, the noise, oh my gosh, the noise is so incredibly loud. And the, um, the start pen there is below, directly below the range seat stadium and so the sound just kind of envelops you and it's hard to hear your own thoughts and I remember getting ready right before my race start like five minutes before kind of shaking out my legs and I turned to Yanni our team physio and I just was like it's so loud and also another really surprising thing is how many USA fans there were I was I remember warming up on the course and just hearing USA USA and people knew my name and that was really special especially coming from like such a I'm one of the smaller nations in biathlon. Like, obviously, we're not like France or Italy or Germany. Um, so it was really cool to have supporters. And then did you carry some of that enthusiasm into the next weekend at Lenzerheide? Definitely. So we didn't get to race the relay 
uh, on Sunday because we had a sickness on the team. But I finished, I remember finishing the race and my, my only goal going into my first World Cup start was I wanted to recapture the feeling of pure joy that I had felt in my very first Nordic ski race four years prior. And I remember finishing and my whole body was just shaking from the energy and the noise and the thrill of like having this huge, huge accomplishment under my belt. Making the World Cup has been, that's been the dream since I started. It was a really a huge culmination of emotions crossing that finish line. Thinking back to crossing the finish line of my first ski race four years prior. Um, it was also really special because my mom flew out to watch the race. I told, I gave her a call as soon as I got the call from Lowell. And I said, hey, if you want to come fly over here and watch me race my first World Cup, like now's the time to do it. And so she booked the first plane ticket she could. And I actually could hear her yelling for me above all the fans, which is really impressive because <laughs> it was really loud. I finished that race and I was just addicted. I wanted that feeling again. I wanted the energy again. And so going into Lenzerheide, I was super, super excited because I had raced that course before at Open Euros the year prior. It's a really beautiful venue. Yeah, I was just craving that energy again. So I was super super excited to for that sprint race in Lunderhide. Well, let's bring it back into the present. Uh, we're in the holiday period right now. You're trying to map out what the rest of your season will look like. You've got a, a season. I think you're a senior now at St. Michael's. Uh, uh, you have a carnival season coming up. You also have biathlon opportunities. How are you looking to juggle this uh, January, February, and into March? If I think about it all at once, it is far too much to to deal with so my uh my plan right now is I kind of take things day by day um I was recently just named to the world cup in Oberhof so I will be flying over there uh, January 1st and then from there it's a bit of a whirlwind I'm going to race um the first half of the second trimester for IBU, either whether it's World Cup or IBU Cup, I'm not sure where I'll get sent, but I'm just happy to be wherever. And then I do ski for St. Michael's College still, and I am contracted to ski there. So I am going to fly over to the U.S. and race the majority of my carnival season. Luckily, it, things kind of work out where the IBU break happens right around when the college carnival season is in full swing. And then after college carnival season ends, it's a little bit of a question mark where I'll go in March. A big goal of mine is to qualify for NCAAs because it is my senior year of college skiing. And those are in Steamboat Springs this year. Um, but also there's the Soldier Hollow World Cup on the docket for this year. So those are two really huge goals. It would be really incredible to race a World Cup at the venue that kind of is where everything started for me. Um, so I have a I have a whole platter of possible goals laid out in front of me, and I'm just going to kind of pick and choose as I see what I qualify for. But it's going to be a really busy race season, and it's I'm already I'm already a month into it, and I've got a couple of more big months ahead. So I'm really taking this two week break at home to just kind of recharge and gear up for what's going to be a, a long but exciting winter. Grace, if you go back four years ago, did you ever think that? Four years later, you'd be sitting here trying to figure out, am I going to go to the NCAA 
ski championships or am I going to go to the IBU World Cup in Soldier Hollow? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's I don't even have to like think back to four years ago. It still sounds crazy to me right now. It's hard to wrap my head around. Um, when I first started skiing, I I was told by a lot of coaches that I wouldn't even be able to ski. I was told by one, yeah, I was told by coaches that I wouldn't be able to ski collegiately. I just was too late in the game, and part of me believed them, but other parts of me wanted to see how far I could go and get with these, uh, get with skiing. And so I'm really glad that I I forged kind of my own path. I, I have a notebook of my of my sports all my sports journals and I remember writing my goals and things have happened a lot faster than I anticipated which is a good thing so it's really hard to wrap my head around and I, I don't really think it will ever quite set in Grace one final question before we get to our little lightning round to uh, wrap things up on heartbeat one of the things that's interesting about biathlon is that athletes have come from all sorts of different backgrounds. But one of the things that I'm sensing in the last year or two is we're starting to see much more diversity in where athletes come from. We had Margie Fried on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and you know her story is really fascinating as well. But you're new to the sport. You, didn't, you came in very late to the sport into cross-country skiing. You've picked up biathlon very, very quickly. You're starting to see some success in it. You're still flipping back and forth a little bit from biathlon to cross country. And I think it's really pretty cool, you know, what you're able to do. What advice and counsel would you give to other athletes who are maybe in cross country right now about trying biathlon and how you can do both of them before you really find that pathway that works for you? I think the two sports really complement each other in very nice ways. There's the obvious fact that cross country ski training and biathlon training really are the same from a cardiovascular and endurance standpoint. And for me, it's been really nice to have kind of these two worlds of racing to flip flop back and forth between the last two years. I really enjoyed last year getting to come back and race a couple of college carnivals for a few weeks after racing a bunch of IBU cup races, because it was really nice to kind of turn my biathlon brain off and just give it a break. It's really fun to just go out and ski really hard sometimes and not have to worry about pacing yourself and coming to the range and uh, worrying about how you're going to shoot. So it's really, it's really a nice way to uh, kind of break things up and give yourself a mental refresh. My advice is that there is a certain point where you do have to pick one. I picked biathlon as my main sport years ago and cross-country skiing has really helped me excel and get to where I am in this sport. But if there's anything that I've seen is biathlon is is a two aspect sport. You really can't get by just on fast ski, skiing or just on good shooting. And so I'm really looking forward to my transition towards only biathlon next year because I I think that it's going to give me a lot of I'm think I'm going to see a lot of gains from focusing on just one. But I think when you're just getting started, it's a really beneficial thing to kind of dip toes in both both waters. Well, Grace, I admire the uh, the strategy that you have, the roadmap that you've plotted out, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us here today. We're going to wrap up Heartbeat with a segment we call On Target, a little bit of a lightning round. And uh, I want to first just find out, who, and, and we did talk about this a little bit earlier, but did you have a particular athlete role model when you were growing up? 
the first real athlete role model I can really think of is Jesse Diggins. So that's, I mean, I guess not super long ago, but I remember reading her book and a lot of her story really resonated with me and I just enjoyed her, her attitude towards sport and life. So yeah, I'd say she was the first big one. Have you met her yet? Um, I have sort of met her. Yes, I have. We, uh, I met her in Utah a few years ago and she was in Bend this year when I was also in Bend, but I haven't met her really formally. Okay, that time will come. How about a favorite biathlete today? Uh, anybody who knows me knows that I am kind of a super fan of Ingrid Tangerbold. I just adore her. I want to be her. Uh, she's also a lefty, and I'm a huge Ingrid Tangerbold fan. Have you met her? Nope, not in person, but I remember seeing her in person uh, in Hopefilson, and I was driving the van with Vincent, and I, like, almost lost it. <laughs> he was like, that's your girl. We should go say hi over there. And I was like, no, 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 I can't do that. By the way, you can do that. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> what's, on, what's on your playlist these days? I really enjoy Bailey Zimmerman. I'm a big country music fan, but also Noah Kahn, a classic Vermont artist, staple. Beautiful. Country music is changing, isn't it? It is changing. Yeah, there's a lot. It's a. It's actually. I think it's becoming quite diverse, and it's not. It's a lot. There's a lot of different genres within country now. Yeah, there really is. Here's a good one for you. What's your What's your biggest memory? Your best memory of Junior Worlds in Kazakhstan outside of the event itself? The last evening after the last race had wrapped up, um, there was this really cool observation tower in the hotel we were staying at. So a couple of us went up to the observation tower and you could open one of the windows and get out on the roof. And so a couple of us went out and sat on the roof and watched the sunset in Kazakhstan and kind of just celebrated and took in took in the moments that had all just came about. Beautiful. How about your favorite biathlon venue worldwide? Lenzerhide is definitely the most beautiful biathlon venue I have ever been to. So that's definitely up there for me. Um, but it's a really hard course. So it's not my favorite in that aspect. Um, I really enjoy racing at Soldier Hollow. Um, I think it's a really well done course. Yeah, the mountains in Lenzer Hyde are just spectacular, aren't they? So beautiful. How about your favorite fun activity outside of skiing? I really enjoy sailing. I grew up sailing. I don't get to do it quite as often now, uh, just with training and where I am. But yeah, sailing is a big one. Finally, in just one word, what does biathlon mean to you? rewarding i think that because good one <laughs> i think because it's such a hard sport to have success in uh, it takes a really perfect culmination of events to have a good race and also it takes a lot of hard work to train your mind and body it's the most rewarding feeling to have uh, those moments of success Grace Castengay, I know that the listeners are going to really enjoy your story. Uh, we're going to all be following you this season, whether that's with St. Michael's or on the IBU World Cup. Thank you so much for joining us on Heartbeat. Thank you. Wow, Grace Castengay is an inspiring story, and I hope you enjoyed this insightful look into how the next generation is making its pathway into the sport. You can follow Grace on Instagram at grace.castengay, that's C-A-S-T-O-N-G-U-A-Y. 
We've had some amazing interviews on Heartbeat this season, including Margie Freed, Campbell Wright, Maddie Fanoff, Lowell Bailey, new U.S. biathlon leader Jack Gearhart, and a fascinating look at the fluorocarbon ban from Fetty Fontana. Head to your favorite podcast platform to catch past episodes of Heartbeat. Heartbeat is brought to you by U.S. Biathlon and its dedicated team of sponsors. A very special thanks to Aaron's The King of Snow, Maloya outfitting the U.S. Biathlon team, and Paul Smith's College offering education and sport training in the heart of New York's Olympic region. And a big shout out to all of U.S. Biathlon sponsors, including Maloya, Aaron's, Paul Smith's College, Auto Aider, Lapua Ammunition, Rain Pure Mountain Spring Water, and Polar Beverages. That's it for this episode of Heartbeat. If you can, give us a review or hit the favorite button so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes as we continue to tell the stories of the people behind Biathlon. I'm Tom Kelly, your host for Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and we'll see you again soon.